for the love of God, people, all veterans aren't the same. Man, we got black ones and brown ones and white ones and religious ones and ones with money and ones without. Like we're people just like everybody else. So I think part of the problem is they begin to think of this veteran class of consumer like they're some broke, incapable, complex, whatever. Like they, they think about it the wrong way. All veterans are different. Their circumstances are different. And the one thing that you need to understand about the VA loan is it's incredibly flexible because of that. Hey folks, this is Clayton Collins, the founder and CEO at HW Media. And we're back for another episode of the Housing News Podcast. And today, our special guest is Chris Griffith. Chris Griffith is the owner of Debt Does Deals, a Texas-based mortgage brokerage firm. And he's also the founder of Vetted VA. Vetted VA is doing some fascinating work uh, helping loan originators be more informed and aware to serve the veteran community with VA loans, um, and also producing some really cool research and reports to help the broader industry understand the VA benefit. And today, our conversation is going to focus around a recent white paper that Chris published in partnership with AIM and Polygon Research that debunks some of the bigger myths out there in VA lending. This is really important information for the housing economy to better serve the veteran community, but also for real estate agents, brokers, and mortgage professionals to get deals done. And uh, there, there's some valuable information here. So please enjoy the conversation. Uh, we kick off with some uh, with some some conversation about Chris's hobbies. Those are always interesting too. <laughs> enjoy the show. I was just saying to Chris, I think all the best podcasts have at least one dog bark or one doorbell ring. It is a it is a requirement. I agree. You know what my favorite podcast is? Oddly enough, it's called Working Cows. <clears throat> Clay Connery. Working Cows is this like your inspiration for your new Oklahoma venture? Uh, I mean, not really the inspiration. It's what I found and got onto quickly, trying to learn about what I wanted to do, um, and it was just one of the ones that I thought was great. It just paradigm shifting ideas, great discussion cool intro song but yeah there's been some fun background noises in that one too <laughs> I, I i is your new podcast gonna also explore the the world of working cows or are we focusing in on uh va lending you know that's the most unfortunate thing I, or fortunate i guess rather um the better va podcast is going to be specific to va housing uh, military vets spouses like uh, their perspective as well as professionals in housing but I mean, I'm not going to put out the chance of possibility of Whiskey Creek cattle having a uh, you know beef podcast one day. But I don't really know enough about it to talk about it on that side yet. And he gets in the plug for Whiskey Creek. I'm Ooh. still waiting. I I, I need a um I, I need a brisket, man. How how are we going to make that happen? So as it turns out, beef production is somehow more regulated and political than mortgage. Uh, yeah. So we're still probably 60 days out from breaking ground on the processing plant now. We have the cattle. We're selling off the majority of our present herd in favor of trading up on some genetic lines, some really good quality beef producing bulls that are, excuse me, heifers that we're going to breed in on some bulls that we already have. Um, but it, man, as far as producing meat, I'm probably still, that build's probably going to be a nine month build on the slaughterhouse. There is a, um, I don't know if do you ever read Texas Monthly. 
the like the print publication Texas Monthly? So I was going to ask if that was it. Yes, I do. And bathrooms near me, it seems like <laughs> where I usually run into those magazines for what it's worth. But yeah. So the March version, I just picked it up in a hotel I was at in Austin this week. Um, has a really cool feature story on a woman who started a slaughterhouse out in West Texas. And I believe she was like a, a tech product manager for a tech company and like got super interested in cattle and in like 2017 started exploring it. And like in 2020 slaughtered her first cow and now has like a thriving business, a thriving slaughterhouse. It is a, it's a fascinating story. I would check it out. And it's, it's all about like local meat and like being able to, to grow and eat local. It's cool. I'm not smart and I'm not unique. The great irony is beef production is bottlenecked worse than mortgage origination was post Dodd Frank. And the same disruption opportunity for local independent small companies to come in and actually serve the local community, the rancher better, the consumer better with product that's actually probably what it's claiming to be. Um, it's massive right now. You have, I think, some like 94%, 95% of the world's beef production goes through five companies. That's wild. And all of it's designed yet to, to a degree to where it benefits the, the not the producers, right? So it's going to be fun. Yeah, well, we've, we've surveyed our housing news audience, and we we know that they're interested in mortgages, but I think more of them actually like might like meat. So maybe we just stay on this topic, but maybe it is also the appropriate time to switch over to the reason we gather today. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not completely unapplicable because the whole cattle food processing plant is really designed to acquire land, right? It's still a real estate play. It's designed to acquire land and actually, instead of just breaking even, but actually pay for it and make a profit on it. And as it turns out, water is a resource in a lot of places that's just as valuable as the cattle, but onto the VA housing and real estate. It all comes back to real estate. So Chris, we gather here today to talk about a new white paper that that you released or Vetted VA released in partnership with AIM and Polygon Research about debunking VA myths and VA lending has been a, a topic of a lot of coverage at Housing Wire and a, a lot of focus across the industry. As I, I, I think it's common knowledge, I think we can all agree that there are some misperceptions about the, the VA loan product and about VA home buyers. And I thought this report that you prepared um, in partnership with AIM and Polygon was a fascinating look and a very data-centric look at some of the challenges and opportunities that our industry has in front of them regarding VA lending, um, but also some things that we just need to better understand to serve this really important segment of the, the homeownership market. And I want to get into the details of uh, this, this myth debunking report, but I also want to start with a little bit about you, Chris. And I think what one of the reasons that this report is impactful and one of the reasons that um, the VA market is getting a lot of attention is, is, is you, and you've, you've, you've really focused a lot on bringing awareness to the, to the VA world. So tell us a little bit about yourself, the, the mortgage brokerage shop that you, that you own and operate and um, embedded VA. And I, I think that's going to be important ground to, to lay before we get into the topics of today's conversation. I think it'll help understand the kind of the why or how we kind of arrived at this point. But <clears throat> I'd like to start out the same way I always do by saying uh, my name's Christopher Griffith and I'm an absolute nobody. And that should encourage a lot of the other people out there that sometimes feel like a nobody. I'm not particularly smart. I'm not, uh, don't have any pedigree whatsoever to speak to. 
What I have is a very strong passion and desire to do a better job at old problems than have been done. And fortunately, the reason why someone like me gets to the point where you're like, well, tell us it happened because of you is the reality is I have a peer set and a community set of what we call moderators or professionals that surround me that are some of the best mind in VA origination in the nation. And so it's not a me thing. Our community isn't about a person. It's not uh, if it's about a singular person, it's about the veteran, actually. It's not about us at all. It's, um, it's been quite a process. For, it started for me, I would say, in the mortgage origination channel. I helped a family uh, take a mortgage brokerage, kind of get it up and running, and or get it back to running better after Dodd-Frank, rather. Um, and then they transitioned. We transitioned to uh, delegated, or, or excuse me, non-delegated, and then delegated as far as uh, a lending apparatus. Through that transition, for personally, I decided that I like the independence that came from brokering. I think that there's the first thing I'll say is for, if you're out there and you're listening to this and you've heard me in, anything in the past, I'm not in the whole channel war thing. I've made my choices based on the things that I think, but we have people that are on all sorts of the sides of the channels as a part of our community. We believe in teaching, training, and holding accountable individuals, not companies, not channels, because you can't do it that way. Uh, you have to go through the individual. And so as we were standing up our mortgage brokerage, um, which, oh man, Isabel may kick me for this, but this is the perfect time to do it. Uh, you're familiar with the mortgage brokerage that we have, Debt Does Deals, right? Where I believe that debt is a currency just like money, and just like money has buying power, it has cost, and has risk. But So what's the difference? Well, Debt Does Deals is how I uh, teach that to, I think, a lot of the audience that I had over there. But we're getting ready to go through a complete rebranding, Clayton. Here soon, like very soon, it's already kind of out there, Be My Neighbor is the uh, the title, the name that we're going to operate under. Uh, we feel like it probably speaks to the consumer a little bit better than debt does deal. <laughs> you, you heard it here first. You heard it here first. And Chris, I've always um, you know, had, a, had, had mixed feelings on debt does deals. It, it's so direct and like it, it like it's hey debt does deals you need a mortgage to buy a house you need a mortgage to buy real estate financing is important but um be my neighbor i'm a fan be my neighbor and we're starting with the mortgage company we have other i would say enterprises around housing that we'd like to move into and we'd like to take a holistic approach to solving problems in a better way than even that has been done in the past but <clears throat> from the mortgage brokerage pursuits and the peer set that i ran into out there and the things I was learning from people and the process that I was using to answer questions that when I didn't know or whatever else, really just kind of began to snowball. And a lot of people that had the same desire and the same willingness to do things in a very difficult way, like our professionals go through a lot. As far as handbook source testing and then other testing training and even integration process training on how you speak to and communicate to people um, in a tried, true, practiced kind of a way, uh, we've spent a ton of time. They spend a ton of time there. And then on top of that, they have to submit 100%. Everything VA-related they do, they have to report to us on. And so we collect what we call VTB, or Vet Tangible, Veteran Tangible Benefit data. And that data is very similar to Humda, only it's, it goes a little bit deeper. Still none of it into uh, consumer specifics whatsoever. We stay away from that, as we should, just in case you're out there wondering. right? But all of it revealing as far as uh, the context of the quality of product and the nature of service provided by the professional. So it's not only about teaching, training, and educating, right? It's about holding accountable and not because they don't want to be. The professionals want to be held accountable, but it's difficult to understand everything that's out there and to know what and how to hold yourself accountable to it. And so that's where we come in to help. So you're 
talking about two distinct enterprises right now, right? So you have yeah. Beat My Neighbor, the, the new brand. And and also when you say we, you're talking about your your team and organization at, at Vetted VA, correct? Yeah, this should be a very important note. And every company I own, I have a partner because, I, like I said, I'm a nobody. I'm not great at a lot of things. I'm very good at knowing what I shouldn't be doing, even if I'm pretty good at it, right? And so Be My Neighbor, I'm partnered with Isabel Williams, and she's an amazing, absolutely amazing vet um, also that runs the mortgage brokerage for the most part. She's our COO, our operations uh, wizard. Um, and then Nathan Nottingham on Vetted VA specifically. Uh, he Not a vet, as he always likes to point out, not that it matters, but exceptionally good at teaching and training, formally around compliance. Um, and he helps to build out, like he's a, they're both executors, right? It sucks to admit, but I'm not the best executor always, especially if I can find someone like those two to help me. But you are a connector. Uh, ever since you and I met, I think we were sitting on the floor at uh, an airport. Uh, we're coming back from Vegas, actually, and um, used a uh, used a a random uh, bump in to uh, turned into a, a beer and a flight back to Dallas together. So uh, you you are a connector and and someone who knows how to to bring people together, and that is a that is a valuable skill. I think so. I think relationships are the only thing on this earth I've ever hoarded. Outside of maybe ammo, circa 2020, something like that. But outside of that, just relationships are the the most valuable thing. I grew up poor. It wasn't what I knew. It was who I knew, right? And, and if I wanted to do something fun, well, we didn't have fun stuff. We were broke. So I had to know somebody that was. So I began to see the value of humans and, and having a big human network. And that, I think, more than anything is probably the linchpin in any of the successes I have uh, is a desire and an ability to find the right human to work with to solve something. So let's go a little deeper on Vetted VA. So I, you, you kind of gave us a, a preview of what Vetted VA is, but let's let's go to the completely uninitiated here. H- how do how do lenders get involved with Vetted VA? Who's involved? What's the requirement? And and then let's go look at the consumer side of the marketplace as well. Like how does Vetted VA actually help veteran homebuyers? Cool. So first the professional, then to the veteran consumer. Correct. Yep. Awesome. So if you're a professional out there, a loan originator, real estate agent, an underwriter, uh, we're working with a whole host of different people in the industry now with one hope, and that is to better inform and educate and expose uh, to the circumstance of the veteran so they can make better choices about what they're doing or not doing and having a better impact on the veteran consumer. So for professionals, um, if you're interested in what we're doing, I would say there's a Facebook group out there called Vetted VA Professionals Only. Uh, if you join that group, you can interact and engage with us a lot. The moderators in that group, our community moderators, serve the professionals-only group the same way we reser- uh, serve our veteran-facing community, which is about 54,000, I think, or something vets. And that is, any question you have, whatever it is, we will source an answer for you, even if we don't know it, and we'll cite the example of what it is. So you don't have to rely on what someone told you, but you can see what the answer is. And so it's a it's a human element, a human intelligence function. Like my background in the Marine Corps, human intel, right? Right. So it kind of the same thing. It's a network of humans to source the information because why in housing is one of the most important questions you run into. Why this or why that, right? And for, to get a why answer from a human, you have to send another human in to get it. And so we use those humans to answer questions. If they're uh, lenders out there, we are at this point partnered with a couple different lenders, and we're doing this very slowly because we, from the beginning, we've stovepiped our growth to ensure that we did a good job, right? Like we've had opportunity to grow faster, but faster isn't always better. So 
if you're a lender out there and you're interested in what we're doing from a training perspective, I would say that we're really good on um, on teaching and training because of the way we train. We believe that everything you know comes from education, exposure, and experience. One of those three funnels, every thought, thing that you know comes through it, right? So we educate to theory-based things. What does that look like? Well, it's a brutal handbook test to start. We cause the professionals to go in and answer questions in the handbook. There's six parts, 50 questions each, four hours to complete it. they got to make a 90%, and we don't show them the wrong answers, right? And so it's brutal when they're failing these questions, but the reality is it's an open book handbook test. Our goal is to make them spend as much time in the handbook to be as intimately familiar with it as possible through muscle memory. It's not retention regurgitation effort like most of the training out there, and that's not a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. There are very viable things about the VA loan that you need to be able to retain and regurgitate. Right, We call these our pillar or basic 101 classes. And we're in the process this year of rolling out 36 pillar classes, effectively, that would teach and break down uh, to the tactical kind of a level things like entitlement or residual calculation or eligibility. Right, We're going to go through these little hip pocket classes and distribute them a little bit differently so they're not the same style of testing um, that we do to cause familiarity. Right, The best way to know something is the same way a Marine knows his rifle. They take it apart. They clean it. They put it back together again. They weapons function safety test it over and over. And it's ridiculous. You do it so many times. But by the end of it, you know the thing. Your hands know the thing. And even when your eyes are closed, you can feel the thing and know what you're dealing with. And so that's the familiarity we hope to create, not only in the handbook, but second half of the year, we're going to be breaking down the Ginny Mae selling guide in the same exact way to help out some of our underwriters and some of our lender partners that are trying to impact the level of knowledge and skill set that their professionals and their companies have. So in this conversation, we don't we don't have time to dive into the the whole handbook, but but let's take a minute to to level set and make sure that our our audience of mortgage and real estate professionals understand the key talking points of the VA loan and the, the, the VA benefit. So what is it, what's most important for a, a real estate professional and maybe advising homeowners or, or leading agents um, or your fellow originators to understand about the VA product? Well, that's not a, that's not a gotcha question at all. The most important. So the first thing I'm going to say is that's a perspective based thing. There are plenty of people that are going to beat the answer up, but I would say the most important thing for you to understand, the VA loan is the most cost-effective, most flexible option field, most risk-adverse mortgage in the U.S. It helps more homeowners. If you want to help minorities, there's no loan that helps minorities better than the VA loan in every way, shape, or form, regardless of what you've been told. Take a second look, because I think that you'll find that the VA loan does just about everything as well as or better than any of the products out there. And this is important for a few different reasons, but as a kind of the most important thing, that's what I would say, because I think a lot of times what happens is things that they knew previously or things that used to be the case with the VA loan 10 years ago cause them to segregate it from a potentiality. If they're discussing it with a person, they unintentionally speak ill of it in myths, mistruths, right? In things that, of course, if that fact is a fact, that you would have a problem with it. But the problem is they're citing things that aren't fact. And that's, I mean, I, I think that's the, the the crux of why this debunking VA mess white paper that we're gonna, that we're going to get into in a second is interesting because you 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 make the case that 
the VA loan is an incredibly attractive and and cost-effective financing solution, but that is not always the the common perception amongst professionals in the industry, whether we're talking about loan originators or or real estate agents or or brokers. And um, it seems to be a, a hurdle that offers with VA financing don't always get the same attention um, uh, respect and seriousness that that other forms of financing or, or cash offers get in a in a home per, in a competitive home mer- purchase market like we are in right now. So w- where did the industry go wrong in starting to develop myths and where did the misunderstandings kind of root from of why the VA product wasn't the attractive financing choice for potential home buyers? That's uh, been loaded, too. It went wrong for many different people in different ways, either maybe 20, 30 years ago or problems 10 years ago with appraisals or something was somewhat true. There were some difficulties surrounding it, but it's old and it's been changed and been updated and they haven't migrated their own understanding, right? Or two, the company or individual they were working with didn't know, and not that not knowing is a huge problem. There's plenty of ways to quickly get educated, but didn't know and didn't pursue or tell the truth behind what the VA loan would do from what they would do. A lot of companies have a massive amount of overlays and then an even smaller selection of loan products around the VA loan than what the VA offers, right? They may only want to do 800 FICO VA purchases and EARLs, right, the easy loans, but not being willing to do VA one-time close, VA renovation, VA energy-efficient mortgage, or any of these other products that allow all sorts of flexibility to the veteran borrower. And then they have other overlays that come in. And so these past circumstances that were somewhat partially true, right, migrated to where they're at now, or past experiences with people that didn't know. And then the third thing I would say is, For the love of God, people, all veterans aren't the same. Man, we got black ones and brown ones and white ones and religious ones and ones with money and ones without. Like, we're people just like everybody else. So I think part of the problem is they begin to think of this veteran class of consumer like they're some broken, capable, complex, whatever. Like, they, they think about it the wrong way. All veterans are different. Their circumstances are different. And the one thing that you need to understand about the VA loan is it's incredibly flexible because of that. And that's why it does a better job of creating homeowners. It does a better job of doing it for minorities naturally, without any intention whatsoever, Clayton, to have a defined, profound impact on minority housing. It does better than anyone else without trying. Why is that? Well, maybe that's something some of the other programs should look at and model after. How does the VA loan do it better when that's not even what they're trying to do? So let's jump into to some of the myths, Chris. And like the this the the fascinating part here is with Polygon support, y'all backed this up with data. So the the, the first myth that that I, I you know I've, I've I've heard in the market. So let's so let's debunk it. VA loans are denied at a higher rate. Um, what what's the truth here? If uh, if this myth is false, well. Here's the truth. If you look at, and we're looking at a few different things here, okay? So understand that we're being informed by data. All of the data that we're pursuing, we're not regurgitating with another person's analysis of the data has told them. It's all organic, and it's something our entire community works on collectively. But for 2020, the denial rate for VA applications was 7.1%. For conventional loans, it was 10.4%. So by 3.3%, conventional loans were denied more often than VA loans. And so the, the thought of, are VA loans hard to do or are they denied more often? If you look at it from a strict denial perspective, no. Actually, that's not true. 
they're easier to do, and as a percent, more of them close, uh, you know, than are denied, certainly. But the denial rates are much lower than you would see. FHA denials for 2020 were 11.5%, and then USDA denials a little bit lower at 8.7%. Now, that was 2020. Um, we have 2021 HUMDA data now. It just came in here very recently. Um, but even in a recent uh, video, which I'll reference, uh, John Bell uh, had with NAR, he even cites several different statistics um, on approval percentages, basically, which is kind of the other side of that. You, you have some approvals, you have withdrawals, you have denied, right? But just from a denial perspective, VA loans are denied by percent less than uh, any of the others. Even the origination rates speak to the same thing, right? How many loans are applied for uh, that are actually originated and pulled through in 2020, that data, which is what is in the white paper I'm going to cite. And we're going to update this white paper with 2021 data here very quickly. But even for VA loans, you're looking at a 71.9% approval rating in 2020 versus conventional at 67.6%. So by percent, it's more effective. It's denied less. It's approved more, Right. And so the thought ideology of, you know, hey, are VA loans hard to do? They're denied often or whatever else. It's just simply not true. What do you think the crediting factors are there? And there's a, some of the it probably comes back to some of the benefits of the VA loan with the, the down payment requirements and and other education components. Like g- give us a glimpse into why you think that the VA product um, has a low denial rate in comparison to other mortgage products. Yeah, that's a great question. So there's probably a lot that feeds into it as far as from a denial perspective. I think that from the get-go, the handbook, uh, the Jenny Selling Guide, the circulars, they all create an intent, right? You have an order, and then in the military, you have commander's intent behind the order. The intent is to be flexible where they can be, to use best-case discretion um, against risk determination, right? And so from a denial perspective, when you see things like in all the other loan times, how significant is debt-to-income ratio? Debt-to-income ratio for your loan, was it a significant feature? No. For refinance, I guess, it wasn't a big deal. For a purchase loan, it was. Yeah, that's right? correct, yeah. For your yeah, conventional yeah, product, yeah. their debt-to-income ratio limitations. So the VA loan itself doesn't have uh, lateral limits on certain things. Like, there's not a defined lower FICO credit score. Like, this is the lowest credit score you can have to do a VA loan. The VA doesn't actually take an approach to define one. Lenders do, right? And then when it comes to... Um, DTI even, it's not, debt-to-income ratio isn't the driving factor on what can be approved on a VA loan. And we have some data breakdowns on that, but it's residual income calculation, how much money they have left after their housing costs and expenses, right? They look at it from a different perspective to measure it differently. And I think that those uh, secondary checks are, are, are different perspectives on what this risk class actually uh, means, I think is a lot of what feeds into it. But you also have a lot of these like, I don't, I, don't want, I, I don't know that you could ever go into it and say, well, the veteran class of consumer has just, you know, better circumstances across the board because that's not the case. They don't have infinitely higher FICOs, much, much stronger incomes. They're a lot like the rest of everyone else out there, very average. They look very similar. But the prospects of how you get the loan approved is more flexible to those circumstances. And so I think that's one of the reasons why you see a little bit higher of uh, approval or lower of a denial percentage. So that that first myth, the VA loans are denied at a higher rate, could be a could be a myth that steers agents away from from wanting to recommend to their seller that this is a this is an offer they'd want to accept. The second myth that um, VA loans are 
expensive for veterans is a myth that could actually steer veterans away from from even applying for a for a for a VA product. So, wh- where does this myth come from that VA VA loans are expensive? Here's where it comes from. Yeah. The reason it comes in, Clayton, and, and I'm not, there's no good, bad, or ugly. Companies are either competitive or they're not. And even if they're not, they're probably trying to be. They're just not as competitive. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the truth of the matter is, when, there are a lot of companies out there, the margin of difference between what's par or median or average and where they sit, there's a vast uh, tail to the cost end and to the rate end. And you'll see companies that have pricing models, cost models from origination to discount points, and then rate offerings that are half percent, full percent over what the kind of prevailing par would be if you pulled a random maybe 10 different companies. Uh, And I think that's one of the reasons why, uh, from a cost perspective, that they think that. There are some other statements that people like to get into as far as comparing pricing and cost, right? They want to cite the funding fee as um, a, a significant portion to why the costs are high. But even considering the funding fee and the way it's implemented, you're not looking at a grossly high cost when you compare it to other other government loan products like the FHA loan. It actually does a little bit better than that on the gross kind of a cost uh, look at it. But when it just comes down, if you want to make it simple, which you shouldn't, there's more that goes into it context-wise, and I could cite those things. It's in the white paper again. Uh, it's hard to actually, good Lord, I'm just realizing how fast I'm speaking. So if you're listening to this on 2X, I want to apologize now. Your brain may pop, but the white paper will have all of the details in it. And I do have the 2021 production with me right now. But just from an interest rate-only perspective on home purchases for 2020, the median interest rate provided was 3%. The next lowest to that, USDA 3.13, and then conventional and FHA with a median rate of 3.25. So a quarter percent lower over 2020. In 2021, the difference was a a little bit different, but you had uh, the next lowest... uh, VA was 20 or 2.75 was the median for 2021 on purchase loans. Uh, USDA was 3% and FHA conventional both sitting at 3.13%. So still almost three-eighths of a point a lower in interest rate, which is very significant when you're dealing with median house prices in the fours and fives and $600,000 kind of tiered categories. Um, so from a comparative pricing analysis, and especially if you look at these charts, you can see the difference on origination cost, closing cost, and lender credit, so you can net out and actually see what the true cost medians are in those categories too. And what you'll find is there's not really a a valid argument to take to say the VA from a comparative pricing and cost analysis is worse. By rate, it's better. By some of the cost, it's better. And by some of the credits, it's better. So uh, all in all, better. Oh, the the good old days of talking about rates with two and three handles in front of them. How times have changed oh, quickly. <laughs> but so, Chris, are you pointing at a scenario where like veterans need to to shop around? It's not like one VA product isn't the same. They they need to shop to find the rate that's right. Yeah, for them. I think this is a really. If you're a vet listening to this, or if you're a professional serving a vet, the one way a veteran can know that they're finding the most competitive offer very simple. It's shopping pricing in the, in the today's rate. You want to do it the same hour if you can, but price several different lenders against each other in a lockable scenario at the same time frame. And what you're going to see there revealed is the different cost and profit margins that they have into doing something, right? Because no one, uh, every bank out there, every company that originates out there has costs that are different, have profit margins that they're trying to hit differently, and they flex around those as well. And so shopping is really the only way to see what those costs are. It's not like they put it on a menu on the board, hey, here's our rates, you know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. So shopping is 100% the thing that they need to do, comparing loan estimates for like products, same day, same hour if possible, so that they can see that. 
and compare them against the other loan products out there, y'all. Um, that's going to reveal the thing that I want you to see anyways. If you're out there working with a lender and they tell you that the 1% origination fee in that estimate is a very common thing for everybody, it's not, okay? Keep shopping around. Um, it's, lenders don't necessarily, by practice, charge certain fees as a regular thing, even though certain ones state that. But every lender that is doing a VA loan will have that um, that VA loan funding fee in the cost structure, but they shouldn't have uh, any PMI component, right? So, like, there that's that's one of the give and takes on a on a VA loan. Yeah. So what's great on the on the uh, VA loan, it is it doesn't have PMI. It doesn't have the monthly mortgage insurance cost. You do have a funding fee, which varies and depends on how many times you're using it, what you're doing, what type of loan you're doing, right? But at the same time, I think this one's on a different data sheet, but I think roughly a third of veterans leaving active duty right now are comp- have a disability that's compensated from by the VA. I think of the white paper we actually have, and this may be corrected, but it says 10%. You can have a 0% co- uh, disability that's compensated. If you're receiving VA disability compensation, then the funding fees waived, which I think is oh, wow. roughly a quarter right? 25% roughly of the veterans over 2021. John Bell cited this fact in his discussion with NAR as well, uh, which was pretty revealing. We assume that they're sharing information that we don't have access to yet on some of these things. So we're looking at everybody to try to get some understanding of what's happening out there. All right, Chris. So the third myth is people with weak financial backgrounds use VA loans and other no down payment mortgages to buy homes. Um, I don't know. Good, good financial background or bad, I still want the lower no down payment. Um, where does this myth go wrong? What, what's the reality about the VA homeowner or perspective? The homeowner? reality is, I think the reality is a lot of professionals or that don't know otherwise think that down payment is the thing that causes something to be exceptionally secure, which is not true at all. Every loan has a required minimum investment and the VA just happens to be zero. Right, it it does it because it can, not because it must. And so, if you look at some of the consumer survey financial data that's out there, um, it'll actually show that those veterans polled the number one reason why they chose the VA loan is lower interest rate, lower payment. Right, it has to do with that. I think that people think that veterans as a class of consumer are broke because in the beginning maybe you are, but that's like compare compare twenty year olds. Yep. 18, 20, 21-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Compare veterans that are just starting out to college students and see who's more broke, right? I think it has to do with more like their age groups, where they're at in their careers, than it does just the status of being a vet or uh, active duty military member. Yeah, and I think you did a good job earlier in the conversation articulating how the the veteran population mirrors a lot of the the median incomes and, and demographic profiles of the, la- the larger U.S. population. So let's, 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 let's toss that, that myth and, and move on to number four, that FHA or conventional loans are better for veterans than VA loans. And, and the white paper does caveat that this, is, this, is a, this myth is false, but it may depend on a, a veteran's individual circumstances. And there may, maybe there are scenarios where conventional or FHA is, is advantageous. So like, what are, what are some of the, like the levers or conditions that you would look at if you were advising a, a borrower on the product that is right for them to make sure they're getting in the right place? Yeah, that's great. Um, FHA conventional loans better, better somewhat of a subjective thing, a subjective word, right? So it's everyone's assessment, but as a general rule to say like some, People do. I'm not going to name the guy's name, but he's a pretty prolific guy. I will say he hates debt for whatever reason, but 
actually comes out and says conventional and FHA loans both are much better for veterans than VA loans, and it's just not true. Um, I think a lot of people think that because of the funding fee, honestly, is the only thing I think that they can reasonably point to. But it's important to note that other government loans also have upfront mortgage insurance, right? They have a funding fee of sorts, just the same. It's just that the, the VAs is a little bit more flexible, especially if you have a service-connected disability. But the better statement specifically, I think here's a really important thing to note, and John Bell addressed this as well. A lot of people don't realize the reason why you want to get a veteran into a VA loan, even if, let's say, the interest rate isn't lower and the costs aren't lower and all of these other things that are true aren't true, it's how hard the VA works to keep veterans in housing if there's a problem. They were doing modifications and working with veteran consumers to keep them in their homes long before COVID stuff rolled out and everyone else. And if you have these veterans in FHA or conventional loans, they're going to have less opportunity to make it through a hardship that they might go through for reasons you're not going to understand by design. The VA loan was designed to do that. And the VA works very, very intently to help veterans maintain home ownerships, not just achieve it. So what are the, how does servicing work in, in the VA world? I, I actually haven't really thought about that like are is it just guidelines that a servicer has to follow that are different than a conventional product or does the va service well, so it's like the services? selling guides right you have like fanny freddie uh -huh. and uh, some of that applies right but jenny is the security securitization angle right and so to get the guarantee from the va um sometimes here's what i'll say sometimes you'll have the va in the handbook that says yes you can absolutely do this and then the jenny selling guide which right informs securitization facts says it can't be this. It has to be this. And that's where you'll get an overlay coming in to the handbook that's not necessarily a lender overlay. It's not something that they can choose around if they're wanting to securitize uh, those loans into kind of a broke product set. Um, does that answer that question? Yeah. So like, do I, I, I'm kind of just exploring this in my head right now. Like do, do VA MSRs like trade or are they valued differently than a conventional MSR? Yes, they are. Okay. Um, so they do have, and I was speaking actually with Eddie Perez about this the other day, and I even talked to Phil Shoemaker about it um, as well when I was down there. But specifically, those bonds, the government bonds with Jenny um, are valued differently than the Fannie and Freddie's bonds, as is uh, the types of people that are buying those bonds specifically. But the important takeaway is if the guarantee was issued and it's securitized, right, uh, mainly if the guarantee was issued, if there's a problem with the MSR or the servicing on that, and here's why lenders really want to do VA loans, the VA has something called an acquired loan. And this is where they're buying the loans back from those servicing or those lenders, right, to service and modify so that it doesn't hurt or harm the lender, but it actually helps to maintain home ownership for the veteran, reducing some of the risk that they're taking. Even if the bond's short because it didn't complete its term tenure, it, there's not some uh, massive hit to it, right? So once if, if a VA loan is is non-performing, instead of going into the the default process, it is repurchased by the VA and the VA does the 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 workout or the modification, whatever is necessary to keep that veteran in there under the Not roof. every time, but sometimes, yes. And they do it to a pretty high degree of success. There are actual foreclosures. We have data, we haven't been able to model it yet to roll out, but we're looking at delinquency data. And for conventional loans, USDA, FHA, VA loans, they all have different kind of categories of what they consider delinquent and super delinquent, right? 
30, 60, 90. As far as a foreclosure rate, actual houses taken back in and possessed, now they've become real estate owned, right? The VA outperforms nearly all of the other loans. Conventional's neck and neck with it at some point, but I think on average of the last five years, actual foreclosure rates by percentage, VA has, has been better. And so whether it's a, a lower foreclosure percentage on actual homes through modification or some other thing like COVID, the fact of the matter is there are less foreclosures, right? So from a risk perspective, lenders like, uh, that seems valuable. Yeah. I, this is a, I look, I like where this conversation is going. I, I feel like the housing industry just always keeps me fascinated and energized. There's always something new to learn. Like there's just no, I, I just have never, never learned about how, how VA servicing works. So thanks for, for giving me the one one Oh, absolutely. And I'm no servicing guru either for the record. I'm sure there's somebody like Willie or someone Newman on here who's going to be like, Oh my God, he said that a little bit wrong. It's like, well, that's <laughs> well, because I'm well, not very smart. I told you all that in the beginning. Well, well uh, Willie, you're listening. You're, you're the next guest. So you can tell us where Chris is right and wrong. Oh, um, all right. That. So, all right. So myth, myth number five, and this is, a, this is a hot topic. Appraisals have been on the tip of everybody's tongue for since, since the first day of the pandemic, they've been a blessing and curse. And myth number, myth number five, VA loan appraisals are slow to process and usually come back with low values. This one's hard. And here's why it's hard. We have relationships with appraisal companies that have visibility on Fannie Freddie type conventional loans, right? Well, the VA's appraisal system is completely separate and it's operated internal to them. The VA appraisal uh, kind of process over the last three, four years have, has undergone a lot of change and they're still pretty flexible around a lot of different pieces. But the VA loan, something all listeners need to understand is the VA loan is unlike any other appraisal loan that you're going to go through, okay? No other appraisal process is going to give you two, by design, proactive opportunities to influence value appropriately that the appraisal is arriving at as part of the process. When a VA appraisal comes in low, if it comes in low, right, something called Tidewater is invoked. And that's where everyone's notified, right, the property's coming in low, Tidewater uh, is issued essentially on it. And then at that point, comparable properties are submitted to the appraiser so that he can consider those values before producing uh, the NOV or sending the final appraisal, excuse me, back to the appraisal uh, company, the VA's company, right, to determine or to decide on the value. And even when you get to that point, let's say the appraiser doesn't like your comparables, he's a whatever, stoned up, and he sends that appraisal over 15000 below value, VA has something called a reconsideration of value. The VA appraisal process understands the dynamic uh, environment that house valuation is going through right now. And a lot of times, if the veteran is able to withstand, if the circumstances of the property are such where it's a reasonable consideration, the reconsideration of value is something that the veteran themselves can use to the VA, to the VA RLC system to ask them to consider the higher contract purchase value, even if the comparable sold properties aren't there. If there are some pendings and listings and actives or under contracts that validate it, the VA will consider that. And we've seen multiple times this year where even though the comparables weren't there, the 10, 15, 20 grand in difference was awarded through the ROV process because it was appropriate. And someone with a human perspective looked at it and decided that it was appropriate. So the whole VA loans come in low and it's really, it's circumstantial information. It's anecdote, anecdote that people go through and then they cite as a fact. So does like 
All right, so tide, the Tidewater appeals process and reconsideration are are like positive components that help oh, huge. a VA loan get done. But but are they also like is is that where the timelines get a bad rap? Because I mean, the white paper mentions that VA loan appraisals take seven to ten days, which is right aligned with the median for conventional and FHA. But if an appraisal does come in low, there's no way that Tidewater appeals process and reconsideration is getting done in that seven to 10 day timeline, right? Like You'd be surprised. Tidewaters and ROVs go very quickly. The, the VA themselves are very quick to turn things around. If there's an issue with appraisal timeframe, 100% of the time, here's what it is. There's not an appraisal, appraiser rather, that's approved with VA close enough to where they can complete it in a timely manner. And even then, the VA will work to expedite and get new people trained if you can identify them in that county or the county that's deficient to work and help to get people VA approved so that the appraisal process goes further. If you're in the VA, if you're any of the head, John, if you happen to listen to this, We've asked AIM to help us with this in a dialogue they had with y'all recently. I desperately want to be a microphone sounding board for y'all to share the good news. We as professionals and consumers don't get enough visibility into the effectiveness of the VA appraisal process, but we know it. We see it. We see it in mass. We had over $1 billion in mortgage loan volume last year. 2,700 total VA loans are professionals executed and reported on. We see the evidence that states the VA loan appraisal process is better, but we don't have the VA information directly from y'all in order to use it with what we have about the conventional loan to help put to bed some of these issues that agents are kind of rightfully concerned with because there's not enough visibility to defeat them. So that's one of the, the data item line items that we need to really put this one to rest. Um, but specifically by design, it's more flexible and agreeable to the problems that they would cite about valuation, right? And then the time frame, it's the only one that has a time frame demand on it, right? The 10 day demand. And it's very effective. And most of the counties we operate in, and this is anecdotal, right? Me personally and the mortgage company we were talking about earlier, our VA appraisals come in quicker for whatever reason. They do. But what we need is the VA to release some of that stuff and kind of flex a little bit because I know they can. I mean, we're talking about this on a national level, but ultimately real estate's still a local game. So do you think some of the myths like this one included might get strengthened or or kind of like originate from markets that for one reason or another lack uh, the adequate number of certified VA appraisers? And like, so absolutely. If there there are no VA appraisals there, it's a very small and rural market. And uh, Sandy or Tom Sellerman, whose picture hasn't changed in 20 years on their real estate card and their loan officer still types everything up to fax it over as far as the loan documents, right? They don't do enough VA loans respectfully outside of where they're at to probably have a well enough informed opinion of what the average or what's common, right? And so they may cite things because of their experience, because of their location, because of things that are completely circumstantial. They may cite them as their common experience, uh, while it isn't necessarily indicative of the entire uh, kind of common experience that we think we're seeing across the nation. Interesting. And, and that's the kind of problem that's only kind of fixed through policy and incentive structures. So it's a, it's a good one to bring light to. I mean, it kind so, of is, but I'm telling you right now, if, if John saw, hears this tomorrow morning and he's like, oh my God, let's, uh, let's send Griffith all this data and let's see what they do with it. 
I promise y'all, we will share the good news, which is all that we want to do. We want to use the data that y'all have to show professionals the truth uh, that we see anecdotally and circumstantially, even if at scale uh, in the process. But that's that's how we put this to rest. Give us the data. We are we use a third-party data analytics company. We will analyze and help to share the truth of that. So, Chris, the sixth myth is another big one that um, really kind of th- throws a wrench in VA borrowers' ability to get offers accepted in competitive home markets. And that is myth six. Sellers have to pay all closing costs, which you quickly, with the exclamation point, emphasize as, as false. What is, what is the truth behind closing costs? The truth of the, behind closing costs is this. <clears throat> it gets confusing because the VA calls certain things unallowable fees. But it doesn't mean that the vet can't pay for them. If you're not charging, what they're saying is the VA will allow up to a 1% origination charge or fee charge that goes towards the veteran. If there's not an origination charge by process, most companies don't do this. Some of the biggest absolutely do. But if that fee's being charged already, then the veterans can't pay them. Outside of that, if they haven't been charged up to that 1% threshold, most veterans can pay those non-allowables. With the uh, wood-destroying insect report specifically, in certain states where it's a a common thing, it can be paid for. There are exceptions to those things where it's common and appropriate also. But don't just think because it's called a non-allowable or uh, that there's just a massive amount of fees that the seller has to pay. Even in the event that those things are being charged, they can't be paid. Like if you're dealing with the wood destroying insect report, I think it's like a hundred bucks and this, the buyer's agent can pay it. The, like there, you can get it paid for in a lot of different ways, even if you're encountering that circumstance that you shouldn't be because you used a lender that by process charged too much. Hey, real estate agents, listen up. This is, the, this is a good one. It, help, it helps all of us. Uh, this, is, uh, this is something that probably can be corrected in, in communication of offers and a, a myth that can be... That can be debunked pretty easily. So myth number seven, Chris, and this is the, the, the final the final myth here. Um, and, and a myth that I misunderstood for, for quite a while. Uh, VA loans can only be used once. What, what is the reality of this benefit? The reality of this benefit is it can be used over and over again. There's no max number of times you can use your VA loan. The funding fee changes, um, whether you're a first-time use, second-time use. It changes by product, right? So cost, there's a somewhat of a limitation as far as the zero-down benefit, right? If you have a complete entitlement, there's not a max. You like, you can, as much loan as you're approved for, they'll still do zero-down. Now, if you already have a home loan, you can have multiple homes on your VA entitlement at once, right? And, and you can buy even multiples depending on their price with the zero down portion of it, right? There's a calculation that you need to go through to work it out. Um, but the fact of you, they can only be used once, I have no clue where this has come from. I talked to so many, and this is where it hurts. You know who the one class of consumer where the veterans are that are struggling the most? 55 and older. The older the vets are, that haven't purchased before, those are the ones financially that are struggling the most. And they're, in my experience, the most likely to say, oh, I'm saving my VA loan or that have that mentality. But there's no limitation to it, right? There's no, you can use it over and over again, even if you um, have to restore it or uh, get your entitlement uh, uh, paid off after you've closed a home. I've heard it said many times from from people that have the the VA benefit at their disposal that they are they're not going to use it on their their first starter home and they're going to save it for their forever home when they're you know they're they're getting the 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 big house on on five or ten acres that they uh, they know the the financial benefit will be larger of of using this benefit so so but you're, what you're telling me is you can have 
multiple VA, VA loans outstanding at one time. So is it not a is it not a primary residence requirement? You can you use the VA loan for a second home or an investment property? Where does that line get drawn? Yes, you can, but not to purchase one. So if you're acquiring a home, you have to be buying a residence. You have to be buying your primary residence. You can buy a quadplex, a multi-unit property if you're going to occupy one of those units. And then you can have the other three units, right? So you've bought an investment property, but you're occupying mm-hmm. it. Outside of just purchasing an investment, something you're going to turn around and rent, rent out right away, or a second home, you can't do that. However, let's say you own a home, you bought your first starter home for 150 grand, yeah. right? You owe 100 grand on it, and you want to move out of that house and go buy a new house, but you really don't want to sell, and you're only looking to spend 250, 300 on the new house. Well, the way the calculation works in that scenario, likely the new house you could still purchase zero down. And the old house would still be there in its same VA loan. Here's the cool part is you can actually refinance that thing once you're not occupying it. If you get into a circumstance where rates fall really low and you can refinance it so that you're just dropping the rate and the term on it because they want it to be in a better circumstance for you. It's still declared as a non-owner occupied property. But what that's concerning is acquiring a new home or buying a new home. You have to reside in it or intending to reside into it. And this is one big important feature real quick. I'll hear a lot of these professionals out there and some of them that absolutely know better, you know who you are, they say, well, you have to intend. Don't falsify occupancy. Don't play in the gray. There's no gray area here. I don't know of one veteran on the face of the earth that was like, oh, I closed today, but oops, I also just got PCS orders dropped to me or deployment. If you know, you know. And the professionals out there, you should know better too. But the intent is, and there's no declared, this is where a lot of people, a lot of people say a year is how long you have to occupy the thing. It's not in VA that way. Um, in some of the selling guides, you may see it come up in some of the counties. Some of the counties have problems recording more than one owner-occupied uh, deed in a 12-month period. And so you run into mm-hmm. those where people say kind of a rule of thumb of 12 months when it's actually not really the case. If you're out there and you're a vet and you buy a house, right, and then three months later, no kidding, you get papers are dropping and you find out you're moving in three more months and PCSing, you intended to occupy. You moved into it, you occupied it, and your circumstance legitimately changed. But if it's not legitimate, if you knew it was coming, you're faking the funk, I hope they hammer you because the reality, what you're doing is you're endangering the entitlement for everybody else. Your risky choices in a bad market or a bad change in the market are going to do exactly what some of the churning impact that we saw did to us. It's going to change how the loans are pulled. It's going to change funding fees. It's going to change how lenders view risk, and that's going to cause the rest of us to lose access to the same options or even have to pay a lot higher prices to achieve the thing that we already contractually have filled. My service ter- terms of service was over over a decade ago now. I can't fulfill another contract to earn the thing a different way, right? So the point is, don't make risky choices based off of being dishonest in any way, shape, or form that endanger you, your family, and your brothers and sisters. Y'all should know better. All right, Chris, want to put you on the spot on a couple of questions, but, but one, one final question that kind of comes with the commitment. Can I, uh, can, can I count on you to join us in October for, for housing wire annual out in, out in Scottsdale, uh, with the, the rest of the housing industry and, and make sure everybody understands the, the truth behind the VA world. Absolutely. I would love to come. I, I try to come to all of y'all's functions. I think it's very insightful. I think that there are a lot of people that have a great knowledge on what's going on now and what's coming up in the industry. So I'd love to come out there and visit. 
Awesome. October 3rd and 4th. We'll see you in Scottsdale. Chris, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the work that you did on this white paper, the work you did in partnership with, with AIM and Polygon and your team at Vetted VA. It's excellent work and excellent knowledge. We appreciate you. One thing real quick too, I want to invite you out to summer camp this year. We're doing it again. I don't know if you heard about it last year. But oh, I did, I... but it, 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 remember it, it conflicted with, um, the, the birth of our, oh, our third right. child. So I, I yeah. asked my wife if I could come, but I got a, I got a hard no on that one. We're doing it again this year, 2021, <laughs> 22 and 23. It's actually going to be a four day event up here in North Texas. And I, I'd love for you to come out and meet some of the people that we have in there and kind of see what the community is about. I will be there. Bam. Now that is a wrap of this week's episode of the Housing News Podcast. Do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and rate this show. And if you leave a comment, you better tune in next week because you might get a shout out. Thank you.